uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day with great developments that uh, are worth considering. None of them particularly good for President Biden. His uh, poll ratings, people know about this already. It has now dropped below 40%. It is hitting record lows. And part of the reason, inflation. We are uh, experiencing the worst inflation since the 1980s. I mean, this is really getting to be serious. It hits every American household. And what is the president doing about it? He is uh, promoting his Build Back Better bill uh, right now, going to a campaign-like appearance, even though Joe Manchin says, uh, what Build Back Better? It's dead. It's not happening. And uh, meanwhile, what does happen to try to deal with the issue of inflation? We'll be talking about that and much more, including the uh, little mini war that has broken out in the Republican Party. It's a war between those who actually can defend the idea, and I can't, (laughs) the, the idea that the Republican National Committee considers what happened in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of uh, 2021, that there are people who think that represents legitimate political discourse. Uh, does it? Does it not? Is it worth fighting over? Uh, there's also a an endorsement by President Trump and an involvement directly in the state of Washington politics. Now, President Trump is not popular in the state of Washington. He lost the state in the uh, presidential election uh, by 800,000 votes. It was a, a wipeout. So why is he getting involved in directly in Republican politics here in Washington state? We will talk about it and we'll tell you about it. We will um, also take a look at what to me is a fascinating and important issue. Can a public office holder, particularly somebody in the justice system, somebody who is supposed to be a prosecutor, going after bad guys, uh, trying to upgrade the enforcement of our laws in a nonpartisan and in a a certainly non-racially biased manner, is he in trouble if his wife has posted all kinds of outrageous stuff? Uh, and again, they're still married. They're living together. They go to bed together every night, presumably. Uh, the the idea of a prosecutor with a wife who proclaims herself proudly a proud white nationalist and holds up the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> as a um, beacon for white culture. Uh, the whole idea of talking about white culture in America right now seems to me fairly strange. And then speaking about American culture, what about that idea? And it's it's a reality. It's not a concept. It's not a dream. Most of the world still looks upon the United States as a very fortunate country, as we are. We are incredibly blessed. People want to come here. People want to affiliate here. There is not a a great push from uh, Americans wanting to live elsewhere. Though there is an interesting story right now about a um, uh, an American uh, born in the U.S., a uh, U.S. citizen giving up her U.S. citizenship to take German citizenship because she's being offered a post in the German government. We'll touch on that as well. But what about that 
Skier, 18 years old. She also has a career as a fashion model. She's going to Stanford soon. Uh, she's got the world on a string. She's never lived in China. She has a, a mother and a grandmother from China. Why is she skiing for the Chinese? What does it say about that idea? And again, it, it was not long ago. It still exists. That actually, as we were talking about yesterday with Doug Schoen, that a, a passport, an American passport, is a golden ticket. It's like that Willy Wonka thing where you get a golden ticket. Really, to be an American citizen, to be part of this fortunate country, why would you give that up or at least be... Uh, ambiguous about it. The reason there's an ambiguity in the case of Eileen Gu is that in order to be a citizen of China, you have to give up any citizenship anywhere else. So did she do that? She won't answer, which I think is an answer in itself. And what does that mean? And what does that say for the idea of, of patriotism involving at least some desire to participate in the life and the culture of the country of your birth and where you've been raised and where you happen to live right now. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. I mentioned that there's also a, a question about partisanship poisoning the Supreme Court. Uh, there was a very interesting and important interview that Judge Sonia Sotomayor who, with Stephen Breyer gone, gone uh, I think it's safe to say that Judge Sotomayor is the leader of the uh, liberal bloc or the Democratic Party-oriented bloc, the judges who are appointed by Democrats. There's also Elena Kagan, who was appointed, as Sotomayor was, uh, was appointed by uh, President uh, uh, Clinton. And, uh, I I'm sorry, appointed by President Obama. And uh, the uh, the idea that Stephen Breyer is going and then there's going to be a third justice replacing him, should all of that be viewed in a partisan lens, through a partisan uh, perspective? Here is a, a Judge Sotomayor. She was doing an interview with uh, the NYU School of Law. And here's what she said about the state of the Supreme Court as Biden is looking to finalize his selection for the uh, justice to replace Justice Breyer. Uh, listen, this is clip 16. Yes, I have concerns that we might be in crisis. As norms in the nomination process are broken, as more senators, congressional representatives, governors, mayors, local politicians, and the media question the legitimacy of the court. Many of them heap scorn on the court. And um, it's a claim us to be nonpartisan. The threat is greater and unprecedented than any time in our history. Okay, uh, they greater and more unprecedented than any time in our history. Look, I think that's clearly an exaggeration, is when you had the court... <laughs> basically intruding into the issue of the existence of slavery and basically coming down on a pro-slave position and uh, adjudicating, and this was what the Dred Scott decision did in 1858. Uh, the, uh, the idea that uh, the court is now in a more... Uh, 
problematic situation than in 1858. Or you could say even when they were ruling as unconstitutional, and they did repeatedly. Uh, New Deal programs that were very popular. Look, there have always been problems and controversies with the court. But part of what she's saying, and I think it's good and it's right, she says, as norms of the nomination process are broken, as more senators, congressional representatives, governors, mayors, local politicians, and the media question the legitimacy of the court, the uh, threat is greater and unprecedented than uh, any time in our history. The more partisan the voting becomes, the less belief that the public is likely to have that Congress is making a merit-based or qualifications-based assessment of judicial nominees. She's talking about the disappearance of a time when someone like Stephen Breyer, who was appointed by President Clinton, he was confirmed by a, a vote of 89 to 9. It was virtually unanimous. And people used to get uh, confirmed like that. So what about this idea that uh, Biden has spoiled that by saying in advance that he would appoint someone uh, who's black and female? We'll get to that controversy and more uh, Republicans speaking well of a potential Biden nominee. That and more coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. MichaelMedved.com the michael medvitt show all across america this is the michael medvitt show And on the Michael Medved show, the uh, problem with what uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said in her interview, which has provoked all kinds of controversy, is not the real substance of it. I mean, the real substance of it, it seems to me, is true, which is that it's a sad thing right now that basically uh, all Democrats are going to vote against a Republican nominee to the Supreme Court. No matter how qualified, no matter how moderate, no matter how reasonable that nominee might be. The idea that people are going to try to find some basis for voting against a Supreme Court nomination. The, the best example is Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh did not have a charge against him that had ever been filed about sexual assault or sexual misbehavior, misbehavior of any kind. You can look at this guy's record. And his history and his family history, clean as the proverbial whistle. By the way, have you ever tried to figure out why it is that whistles are supposed to be so clean? In any event, Brett Kavanaugh, a very clean guy, a faithful, religious, Catholic guy, uh, married, uh, revered by in his community, the uh, liberal clerks and associates on the, Supreme, on the Supreme Court or on the Court of Appeals that he used to be on, everybody speaks incredibly highly of this guy. What was his crime that led, uh, I believe it was every Democrat except for uh, Joe Manchin. Though Joe Manchin may have, he, there was one of Trump's appointees that he did vote for, 
But no other Democrats voted for any of the three Trump appointees. And by the way, it's also equally ridiculous that uh, there are Republicans who will uh, just fall into line on this Biden appointment and vote no, no matter how qualified the appointee is. There are already Republican senators like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz who were speaking against the appointee before Biden's even named who it is. I mean, he couldn't name this Judge Michelle Childs, who is already drawing praise from Republicans. But both of the senators from South Carolina, who know her work because she's very local and locally based, uh, she apparently is a saintly person and is one of those people who has strong support from Republicans. For instance, listen to uh, Lindsey Graham talking about a Judge uh, Michelle Childs, who could be Biden's appointee. And this, by the way, at a time when there are indications from a number of Republicans publicly that they're going to vote against the nominee, no matter how qualified she may be, uh, because Biden had announced in advance that it was someone who was going to be uh, black and female. Here's uh, what Lindsey Graham had to say about that. That's clip 17. If he wants a consensus candidate that can bring the country together, that can get Republican votes, and Michelle Childs is the nominee, I think that could all happen. But if he rejects her for a more liberal candidate, I think the chance of getting a lot of Republican votes is pretty limited. And it would be proof positive that the Joe Biden that ran as a centrist more moderate candidate doesn't exist uh, anymore. Okay, uh, look, I think that's an effective way of trying to pressure uh, President Biden to appoint somebody who is unquestionably qualified. There's a big glowing article today about Judge Childs in the New York Times and uh, uh, talking to people who've worked with her over the years. The, the truth of the matter is that any of the women he is likely to support is going to be highly qualified, just as uh, Amy Coney Barrett was highly qualified, but she still got voted negatively on by virtually every single Democrat in the U.S. Senate. And this is a terrible tendency. And some of it goes back to uh, Judge Bork, who was wonderfully qualified, a profound legal scholar, and the only reason that the Democrats were so implacably opposed to him and they ultimately defeated his confirmation of uh, Judge Bork was because of his thinking, because his thinking about the law and about originalism and about a strict construction of the Constitution, not making up new Constitution as you go along, that didn't conform to their point of view. And look, it's sad that we have that. And by the way, and this is brings us back to Justice Sotomayor, who is right. Uh, an ABC News Ipsos poll late last month in January of 2022 found that more Americans believe that politics rather than the basis of law and the Constitution actually guide most of the court's decisions. Uh, public approval of the court has also slumped to near-historic lows in Gallup polling, down double digits 
from just over a year ago when approval was near a two-decade high. Uh, Sotomayor said the divisive and politically polarizing process has harmed perceptions of the court's impartiality and also suggested it may be directly affecting the court's functioning on the inside. And uh, look, I, I think that she is right and to urge a more partisan attitude and it also should go to President Biden's choice because it seems to me that there are several of the potential nominees he could select a black women who are not only highly qualified but do not come across as uh, bitter partisans for instance one of the justices he's thinking about uh, naming is uh, Justice Leona Kruger, who's a member of the California State Supreme Court. And you may think, oh, California. Well, there are all sorts of articles about people on the left who are very worried about her because she has been a moderating, listen to the word, moderating influence on the California Supreme Court. Now, you may say that's kind of easy because California Supreme Court is so far out there, but they, exactly somebody who is not going to be identified with a strident wing of either party uh, it seems to me is exactly what you want and one of the reasons that uh, uh, ultimately uh, I think that Trump's nominations were excellent all three of them uh, is because these were not people who were known primarily as activists they in the uh, talk about the Justice Sotomayor uh, interview uh, she she says, we have an obligation to keep open minds that we are willing to change with time and experience. If we don't show it, people will believe, perhaps wrongly, that we are just political creatures and not independent judges. The history of the court has been filled with justices changing their doctrinal views over time. And mostly those judges who change those doctrinal views over time uh, people are very well aware there are people like David Souter, who was appointed as a conservative and uh, actually became a very much an activist liberal judge. Uh, or it could be uh, uh, people like uh, Judge Blackman, who ended up writing the Roe v. Wade decision. But it's also gone the other way. And open minds are a good thing, even when it comes to uh, feuding within the Republican Party. We will get to that coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved. On the Michael Medved Show... Uh, there's a great deal of talk about the great internal fight within the Republican Party. Now, you understand, of course, that one of the reasons that this is such an irresistible topic for people in mainstream media is because it's the only way Republicans are going to lose uh, coming up in the election uh, coming up with um, November. And uh, Republicans clearly have the advantage in all of the polls. There's a piece today in National Journal, which is accurate, it's true, that the map, to some extent, helps Democrats this time. There are more vulnerable Republican seats that Republicans are going to have to defend than there are Democratic seats that the Democrats are going to have to defend. But understand that the Senate being evenly divided right now 
if uh, the Democrats lose, say, three seats, which they easily could, the Republicans could even uh, lose two seats, right? Follow me. And then the Republicans still will win control of the Senate. So Republicans don't have to uh, just do uh, better than Democrats. They actually, if uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats are very comparable in the way things work out, it can still work out for the Republican uh, takeover of the Senate, uh, depending on how many seats Republicans lose and how many seats Democrats lose. In any event, the point about this is that one of the things that would aid Democrats would be Republicans basically sparring among each other, which is why it is very difficult for me uh, to see the point of spending a great deal of time, and it's why I haven't tried to spend that much time on it here on the show, on the internal fights about how we approach what happened on January 6th. Can we agree, like, as Americans, what happened on January 6th, no matter how you want to affix the blame, no matter who you want to say is responsible, it was a terrible day. It was not a patriotic display, and it was emphatically not a an example of legitimate political discourse. It wasn't. It was a riot. And one of the things about Republicans is we're supposed to stand for law and order. And that's against riots. Even if you may sympathize with some of the causes of the rioters, it's the wrong thing to do. And it's certainly the wrong thing right now. And I would love to have somebody disagree with me. And I'll put the challenge out there. What possibly could be gained? What purpose would be served? politically or in terms of justice or anything like like that with attacking right now, censuring Adam Kinzinger, who has already agreed he's leaving the House of Representatives. He is going to serve until January of 2023 of next year, and then he's gone. He's going into some other field of endeavor. And what possibly could be served by censuring Liz Cheney? who still has support from some elements in the party, but what is the point of trying to basically expel her from the Republican Party? How does that help things? And somebody else who has a great deal more involvement with these issues very directly is the uh, highest-ranking Republican right now in the nation, the one with the most responsibility, the most leadership tasks that he has to perform. Uh, a Literally, if you talk about who's the top Republican in the country right now, in terms of actual power and actual ability to maybe try to bring the party together, it's Mitch McConnell. And two days ago, Mitch McConnell said this, and I think it's well said. Uh, listen. Well, let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all we're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was. With regard to the suggestion that the RNC should be in the business of picking and choosing Republicans who ought to be supported, uh, traditionally the view of 
the national party committees is that we support all members of our party, regardless of their positions on some issues. Do you have confidence in her, Robert McDaniels, chairman of the committee? Uh, I, I do, but the, the issue is whether or not the RNC should be sort of singling out members of our party who may have different views from the majority. That's not the job of the RNC. Okay, and again, if you can think of a uh, way in which the censure of, uh, of Kinzinger and Cheney actually helps the Republican cause for uh, 2022, uh, give me a call, 1-800-955-1776, and explain what is gained by it. Because overconfidence is a tremendous danger. It's a tremendous danger I'm in the upcoming Super Bowl. And again, I don't know which team, frankly, whether it's uh, the Rams um, or the Bengals, would tend to be overconfident confident right now. Uh, the betting, which is sports betting, apparently is supposed to break records on this Super Bowl because it's so much easier to do, but the betting tends to be close on that. It's not close on the election coming up. The heavy favorite to win is the Republicans. So why at that point when you're going to win, do you want to take off after members of your own party? where there's no not even necessary choice the republican national committee as um, mitch mcconnell accurately said does not take sides in primaries it's not supposed to it takes sides helping republicans it's not the trump republican national committee it's the republican national committee and that's why it, there's also a um, a, a, a story locally here in the state of Washington that I think is is extremely relevant to exactly what we're talking about is a headline Trump endorses Culp in race against Newhouse. Now Dan Newhouse is the very conservative look at his voting record he's one of the most solid conservatives in the Congress. He uh, he is a congressman from Tri-Cities in the center of the state of Washington He's being challenged by Lauren Culp, who, um, well, let's, let's put it this way. He's a very pro-Trump figure, and he believed that uh, he, Lauren Culp, actually was elected governor last time, despite the fact that the votes showed that he lost. Uh, it was incredibly close. It wasn't close. I'm teasing. He, he lost by 500,000 votes. It was a landslide. And uh, continuing his revenge spree against Republicans who voted to impeach him for stoking the January 6th Capitol riot, former President Donald Trump on Wednesday endorsed Lauren Culp, the former Washington gubernatorial candidate and challenger to U.S. Representative Dan Newhouse. Now, what's so surprising about this is there are other candidates against uh, Newhouse in the primary, including a state member of the state legislature, and for self-funding, there are all kinds of people running against Dan Newhouse. Why endorse Lauren Culp right now? Well, here is what President Trump said. He, uh, he said, Newhouse joined the radical left Democrats to vote for the impeachment hoax. He called Culp a man of the people who would stand up for election integrity and gun rights, 
Lauren will never turn his back on central Washington, on our country. Lauren Culp has my complete and total endorsement, Trump wrote. Okay, uh, given the, uh, the kind of system that we have here in the state of Washington, where it's a top two primary, there's not one Republican nominee that is nominated separately from the Democrats. The greatest show on the planet. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, talking about the big, big, complete and total endorsement by former President Donald Trump to a primary candidate against a sitting Republican congressman. And by the way, you can look up his voting record and on everything. He was supportive of the Trump administration up until January 6th, and he was one of those 10 Republican members of the House of Representatives who um, who voted uh, for the impeachment resolution, sending that impeachment resolution to the U.S. Senate, where it got seven more Republicans voting for it. Now, Trump has declared basically jihad against everybody who voted against him. Uh, I am not sure why that helps as a priority for Republican Party unity right now. In other words, if if you disagree on a key issue, for instance, you disagree on the importance of Ukraine, uh, that's a big issue. There are legitimate divisions in the Republican Party. I, I don't see why there should be, but there are. Uh, if you talk about spending, uh, taxes, uh, issues of that nature, issues about the financial mismanagement by the Biden administration, Republicans are virtually united. But uh, why take as your number one issue the idea of uh, election fraud in 2020 and the idea of uh, President Trump's personal conduct of the presidency? It's really not an issue among people who are running for the House of Representatives in 2022. And it may be a relevant issue again if President Trump runs again. But the the amazing thing about this endorsement that Lauren Culp just got, Lauren Culp was the Republican candidate for governor. He became famous uh, as the police chief of uh, one of the most formidable police departments in the state of the little town of Republic, uh, Washington. And he served as police chief there uh, for a decade. And the final few years of that service as police chief of Republic, Washington, it was a one-man department. So he did an outstanding job supervising himself. Culp's job was eliminated due to budget cuts shortly after the 2020 election. He has since moved to Moses Lake for the 2022 campaign, according to voter registration records. Now, here's the amazing thing. This is from the Seattle Times. The endorsement by Trump for Lauren Culp was a blow to other pro-Trump Republicans who were vying to take on Newhouse and the Democrats in the August 2nd primary, including uh, Jared 
uh, Sessler, who was an ex-NASCAR driver, who has loaned his own campaign more than $350,000, and State Representative Brad Clippert, Republican of Kennewick, who is very conservative and very, very pro-Trump. Uh, Trump's endorsement of, uh, of Culp's campaign could provide a lift for a campaign that has gotten off to a slow fundraising start. The uh, campaign has reported raising $112,000 so far and spent about 25000 more than it took in over the final three months of 2021. Okay, basically, why is this even worth noting or talking about at this point? Because the the entire discussion about January 6th a focus on January 6th. The Republicans didn't want to focus on January 6th, and I think that instinct was right. One of the reasons that I uh, was not a strong believer or strong advocate at the time that we should have a big federal commission to have an ongoing investigation, it's perfectly appropriate for there to be an investigation, particularly when it comes to law enforcement, particularly when it comes to the fact that there are now, and it's going up literally every day, there are now over 200 people who have pleaded guilty to various charges involving the riot on Capitol Hill on January 6th. And yes, it should be a matter for law enforcement, but the idea that you are going to oppose any attempt to have a congressional investigation uh, about an attack on Congress, where the lives of Congress members were indeed threatened, the idea that, that you're going to say that it's not appropriate for the Congress to investigate that, uh, it's um, Peter Navarro, who's one of the people who subpoenaed, He's now referred to the people who are participating in the uh, January 6th Select Committee investigation. He's referred to them as domestic terrorists. Is, is that helpful or even realistic? And, and part of the problem is that uh, there are people on the left who are gleefully jumping on this uh, controversy that basically was revived by the idiot decision to censure uh, two sitting members of Congress, one of whom is already retiring, and one of whom is running for re-election. And by the way, I think partially because there's so many different people running against her, Liz Cheney, that uh, I think she has a real chance of winning. And plus, not everybody in Wyoming is uh, as hostile to her as the people who are making the most noise. At least that's what's the indication in the polls. We'll see what happens with Liz Cheney. But in any event, um, it says the divide in the... Uh, this is a Washington Post story. Uh, the Republican National Committee's decision last week to censure two House Republicans investigating the January 16th, 2021 insurrection. They use that word too has widened a gulf between the GOP's activist base, fiercely loyal to former President Donald Trump, and some of the party's most prominent elected leaders in Washington. The divide was laid bare after Trump lashed out at Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell 
uh, saying he did not speak for most GOP voters when McConnell criticized the RNC's rebuke of Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, which also included language describing the events of January 6th as, quote, legitimate political discourse. Mitch McConnell does not speak for the Republican Party, said the statement from Trump, and does not represent the views of the mass majority of its voters. He did nothing to fight for his constituents and stop the most fraudulent election in American history. Okay, if you look at what Mitch McConnell did, you know what the most important thing he did for President Trump was? It's his leadership that allowed him to appoint Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court by uh, basically showing uh, some real political skill in uh, refusing to go forward when he was Senate Majority Leader and he controlled the agenda. He uh, blocked the nomination of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court, left that open, and then successfully got all three Trump nominees which is a lot for a one-term president, got all three of them confirmed. And the idea that uh, right now uh, President Trump wants to slam Mitch McConnell, and he has said many times that he does not want uh, McConnell to come in as majority leader. Now, does that mean he hates Mitch McConnell so much that he would prefer to have the Democrats hold on to control of the Senate rather than returning Mitch McConnell to his post. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, spokeswoman for the Republican National Committee is saying, quote, outside of the D.C. bubble, our grassroots are very supportive of our decision to hold Cheney and Kinzinger accountable. Accountable for what? What mo- the statement mostly blames them for is for participating in an effort to investigate people who may have taken a responsibility for some of the encouragement and facilitation of the attack on Congress itself. And one of the things they haven't gone to yet, and uh, there are indications that there were actual members of Congress who passed on information about how to get into the building uh, to the people who made the riot. Now, if that is true, is that not significant? Is it not worth finding out or at least exploring? Uh, Meanwhile, one thing that needs to be explored is what to do about inflation and why would a young American, very privileged, very favored, very talented, want to give up her affiliation with the United States. An Olympic question worth pondering, believe it or not, for this greatest nation on God's green earth.